This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Fred Fox, Terry Fox's brother, joins us on the Shift to help share stories of Terry's passion for helping other people and his leadership, how his legacy has helped millions of people across the world, and they have fundraised a ton this past weekend, the Terry Fox Run. Hackers are back out at targeting healthcare and the Las Vegas Strip. Hank the Hacker helps us understand when you find your data has been breached and why corporations drag their feet on dealing with the hacks too. And are you okay with DUIs? And how about being lazy? All of that and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. The Terry Fox Run this weekend has wrapped up, but it's not done yet because schools are going to continue to roll it out through everything else. Fred Fox, Terry Fox's brother. What, that's a proud title for you, isn't it, Fred? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I get asked all the time uh, when I'm at a presentation or even if I go to a corporate group and speak there, how do you want us to introduce you? What, you know, what's your, what's your do- job title? And I say, yeah, I'm Terry's brother. Just, just re- refer to me that way, so. Yeah. yeah. You don't put favorite in there, Terry's favorite brother? And I'm not sure I was. I'm not really sure I was. But uh, uh, being the older brother, it was tough, right? You never, you know, you're kind of the one that's the babysitter. And and so the, the discipliner sometimes when we're growing up. So uh, not sure I was. All right. Well, I would <laughs> uh, I would say that all of uh, the, the brothers and the family and everyone around your family, the uh, the chosen family, adopted family and everybody, um, certainly lives into this and it's terryfox.org by the way there there was a lot leading up to this one fred um let's go back in time and start with the dear terry campaign one of the coolest things that we saw here on the shift on our facebook group after we did with that piece on the radio that you and i did we received text messages i said what do you want to say to dear terry what's your thank you what is it that you want to say and we received messages all night which you're welcome to do by the way if terry fox inspired you Text it in now and we will get them out. Our Facebook group for days and days and days afterwards still received Dear Terry messages of how he left people. What have you seen? It was a it was a big campaign across the country, the t-shirts and so much more. Yeah, and it, it's still the campaign's still going. So one of the schools I was at at Sylvan Lake um this past week, I I gave them these postcards that we've created and they can write their Dear Terry message on it and just throw it in the mail and we'll receive it. And we've been doing that for the last few months uh, with with uh, supporters and the messages are heartwarming. Um, you know, they, you know, we're reading, getting messages like, you know, Terry, Dear Terry, thank you for your sacrifice because of you. Um, our mother is here today. And, uh, you know, Dear Terry, thank you. You've, uh, you inspired me to, to run a marathon or something like that. So they're, they're pretty cool that, and these are people, we don't know how old they are, but, um, you know, it, of any age, maybe they weren't even born when Terry was running. And that's the cool part. I mean, it has, it is a multi-generation story of continually impacting people. It snowballs and it grows and it grows. You know, we talk about compounding as a bad thing with our mortgages and our interest (laughs) rates, but it is such a beautiful thing when it comes from this place of love and gratitude for Terry Fox. And yet all these years later, here you are, Fred, Um, it's bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and the love and gratitude. I mean, that's why the Dear Terry campaign is is on this year is because of the love and support that uh, Canadians from right across the country were sending Terry when he had to stop in Thunder Bay. He came home because of the return of cancer, came home, received, mom and dad received over 60,000 pieces of mail at their door over a period of time. And, and, and cards, yeah, and cards and letters, and and many of them started with the words "Dear Terry." So, um, you know, and they were making donations at the time to to continue Terry's marathon of hope and the fundraising that he he set off to do. So, it, it continues forty three years later. We always every year we receive letters from people um, thanking the foundation and thanking Terry for what uh, what we do every day. Fred, what I've noticed, though, is it's so woven together, right? Um, it's so woven together because we have a contributor here on the shift who joins us. It's Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. He's with Dalhousie. He's the food professor. He talks about food and economics and 
food inflation and shrinkflation, all those things. You see him on all the channels everywhere. Well, he's become a friend. And so Sylvan and I um, will chat. And I remember we were having a, a beer in downtown Calgary one day and when he was in town. And he said, I really look forward to you meeting my brother. He's got a twin brother named Patrick. Now, Patrick is a finance guy. He's not in public. He's not that stuff. Although their mannerisms are so eerily similar. It's crazy. And he said, um, uh, Pat runs a lot. And I think that he could tell his story about running. And I was perfect. I look forward to meeting him. Patrick Charlebois was on the shift a few weeks ago and he ran the North Pole Marathon. Wow. And he won the North Pole Marathon hmm. and the first Canadian to do it. And when we brought him on the show, and I'll, I'll grab a clip of it after we're done here and I'll get that, that segment of the story. But he tells the story about if Terry can do it, I can do it and the inspiration that came with that. And then he holds in regard Daryl. Uh, he ran something with Daryl mm. at some point, right? Wow. Uh, the other the other brother, Daryl. Yeah. And, um, and, and so he's got not only the inspiration of Terry, he's got this adult memory of Daryl and then um, being involved in all of it. I didn't know that part of the story. That was, that just unfolded as we got to know Patrick about why he ran the North Pole Marathon. So when you look at me as a kid in uh, going to McQuinnis School in Port Alberni and Terry Fox and all the bits and all the pieces and on TV and then you and I a meeting and then here's my other friend and by the way Terry Fox inspired him to run this big thing too and that's the that's how woven together it is it, it, it really is and it's amazing to hear Patrick's story um and but it, it's really you know not on com uncommon to to hear those stories. I, I you know when I was in Sylvan Lake, I met with the run organizer uh, uh, there, and uh, he's a triathlete. He's a he's a fitness instructor and all of that. He had a bad uh, cycling accident uh, doing a triathlon um, about eight years ago, and the and the recovery from what that was was terrible. It was hard. It was difficult for him. But he always went back to Terry. He's been, he'd been a Terry fan from the time he was eight years old. And and Terry helped him thinking about Terry and what Terry went through every day running those kilometers um, uh, down the Trans-Canada Highway. You know, he thought about Terry in, in the recovery and he's back and, and competing at a high level again. See, that's so cool. So cool. Fred Fox, Terry Fox's brother is our guest. The uh, Terry Fox run this weekend and continues on with schools and so much more. The campaigns are not over. Um, if you want to send Dear Terry messages, do it. Uh, I, I would say be inspired, Fred, and send Dear Fred messages in the spirit of Terry. I mean, it really can be that pay it forward gift. If there's someone in your life that has inspired you, Use Terry Fox and your perception of Terry Fox as your example in your mind and maybe go give that away to Steve and say something to Steve that you're grateful for. That's fundamentally really the spirit of all of it, isn't it? I think it is because I use Terry's quotes all the time, you know, stuff that Terry wrote in his journal. Uh, as he was making his way across Canada, well, uh, you know, letters that he wrote to a friend in Newfoundland. We use their quote, hit Terry's quotes all the time, and and I'll I'll use them, and I'll give I'll give them to somebody else. So, um, you know, Terry's words helps them. Uh, I you know, people want me to speak, but I often use Terry's words because uh, nobody can speak like Terry when it came to. Um, uh, inspiring words. And when he was doing it, he was only, you know, 21 years old. Um, however, he came up with the way he was thinking, I'll, I'll never know. I sure certainly wasn't thinking that way as he was, but he very thoughtful in his, in his words of inspiration. A little brother past eh? so smart and so far ahead of his time. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, you're, you mentioned the journals. Tell me, um, one of the favorite stories, cause you've read through the journals, you've shared them with us here on the shift before, um, what's one of your favorites that comes to mind at this time of year? Because I'm assuming that you become very present to Terry, your relationship with Terry, your ongoing relationship with Terry, being a big brother, having a little brother, all the bits and pieces must become very focused at this time of year in September for you as Terry Fox's brother. Is there a journal piece that you really, really keep in hand that, that really feeds who Fred is today? Um, well, I think, you know, it's, it's one he 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 had a day, day back in uh, Newfoundland. It was day fifteen of the Marathon of Hope, 
Um, I, you know, I won't be able to repeat some of the journal entry word for word, but he, day 15, like he's only two weeks into the marathon of hope and, and it's cold and he, and he's having a really bad day. Like we all have good days, bad days. He was having a tough day and he wrote, wrote in his journal, um, you know, I, I was dizzy and lightheaded. I made it to the van. Um, was it all over? Is, is this finished? Am, am I going to let everyone down? And he decided in that moment, after taking a few minutes, that he wasn't, he, he, did, he didn't want to let everyone down. So he went back out. He writes, I did 15 push-ups in the road and I took off. I want to set an example that will never be forgotten. And, and you know, for him to, to think that way and that nothing was going to stop him, he's only, he's only day, you know, anyone, anyone else might have said, the heck with this. I'm not feeling very good. I'm having trouble. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm going home, but not Terry. He's date. He was two weeks into the marathon of hope at that point. I want to set an example that'll never be forgotten. Wow, that makes me feel feelings, Fred. Like just hearing that. Yeah. Um. What like this world would be different if we all lived by that? Yeah. Um. I you know I I don't have a book in front of me, but Douglas Copeland, Canadian writer and artist, who um wrote a book about Terry in 2005. He, the uh, beginning of the book, the passage that he wrote in the book, and again, I don't know word for word, but he starts it off, off what if, what if Terry didn't do this? What if, you know, suggesting, what, what if Terry hadn't decided, what if he had decided not to run across Canada? He decided to, you know, he, he uh, finished his chemotherapy treatments, he got a job, got married, or, you know, maybe didn't, if he didn't get cancer, what if? What if he didn't get cancer? Well, you know, where we would we would we be today? How do you approach your relationship with Terry in this incredibly special time as the nation celebrates him, you know, as his brother and, and a guy who's carried on the legacy with your other family members through all this time? How do you approach that? Do you sit down quietly and talk to Terry or how does that work for you? Yeah, uh, I do. Um, I, I did I did a little bit uh, last weekend when I was in Regina because I ran the half marathon there. And uh, at 66 years old, it's not that easy to do that anymore. And um, but Terry was with me every every day. So and I, I sit down to, with them and, you know, I, I go visit Terry, mom and dad um, um, in Porco Element where they rest and there all the time. And we chat, you know, and um you know, and just so they know that um, everything is still going okay, and uh, what you know, the 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 way they guided us, mom and dad, um, that uh, we're following their wishes and following Terry's wishes every day. Fred Fox, um, TerryFox.org. Go and uh, get involved in some way if you feel inspired. And I, inspiration, this is the coolest part of this, Fred, that always hits me, and I'm always left inspired by you and the way you go about it. Is that it is it's almost unattached is how you'd say it, right? It's such an open invitation to live your life in a way like that's maybe that's why that gives me the feelings, right? I want to set an example that'll never be forgotten. Live your life in a way that just helps people and inspires people. And if it's dear Terry, beautiful. And if it's uh, dear Bob, beautiful. Yeah. Um, I will say this, I will say, Fred, thank you. I always look forward to these conversations. I love your stories. And the fact that uh, it's inspiring to me to see that not only the relationship that you had, but that you keep, and then you share it so openly and you guys work so hard. I mean, just to be clear, I mean, Fred's in another hotel room <laughs> running around the country and, um, and doing it with a smile on your face. So thank you so much, Fred. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, sharing Terry's story. This is the Shift Podcast. All right, uh, it was a uh, it was a big busy weekend for the uh, keyboard warriors, hacking their way to inconvenience and in some cases theft. So I I received again more messages. I even received text messages, which to me is the most that I see, and including a text message now that told me that my Alberta Health Records password needed updating at like update hyphen Alberta dot something. And uh, it's, it's, it's dreadful. It's dreadful. It's everywhere. And we need help. And that's why Hank's here. System breach. What just happened? Someone hacked me. 
Hank the Hacker, Hank Fordham, is a white hat hacker. That means he works kind of like a locksmith, protecting businesses from hacks and all those things. The cool part is you have to know what you're up against, and that's what Hank gets to discover all day, every day. Um, Hank, I've received so many text messages. Uh, some of them, you know, uh, are blatant, and some of them are actually pretty good. Uh, anything that comes from an unknown number for me, I don't really pay much attention to. But there's no way to file it as spam, none of those things. Um, now, when attachments are there, if anybody, like, it doesn't mean that it works for your computer if you touch the attachment and view it, does it? I mean, because not everybody gets infected. Um, some people say might have a .html or something that comes in on email, um, but they their default could be their text browser. So they're actually not executing on the file, they're viewing the code. Or, like, people look at things differently, so assume that it's dangerous, don't look at it, probably safe protocol, but at the same time, you you might be okay. Like if you did click on things, it doesn't mean it hits everybody, does it? Yeah, that's very true. Um, it depends on, on the attack vector, I guess, if you will, that the hacker is trying to carry out. But the general advice, and especially uh, with regard to the um, Alberta Dental Corp hack recently is, if you get an email, a text message, or anything that might have an attachment in it or something that's trying to solicit information in some way, the the best move is just not to engage, not to uh, reply or kind of, you know, fulfill that wish for any kind of information without first confirming that the yeah. person contacting you. I want to create contrast from, and we'll speak to more of that hack in a second. I, I, I want to create contrast from those people that panic because I think we just need to explain the fact that if you get that email attachment and you click it, but you're on your iPad, that access or virus or whatever you want to call it, execution um, piece might work on a Windows computer, might not work on an iPad, might not work on a Mac, um, could work on an Android. Like, I mean, you really just don't know. Um, and so it's safe, safer to not do it, but it doesn't mean that you're dead in the water if you did. Not always. Yeah. And, and like, you know, not to scare anyone, but one of the goals for hackers when they're creating these campaigns is, is to create what's called a cross platform payload. And, uh, from my experience, having created cross-platform payloads for uh, an ethical hacking engagement, it's not easy to do. And uh, the, But these payloads, they're meant to be able to read basically the device that's clicking on it or the device that's, that's basically grabbing the attachment and serve the payload based on that platform. So knowing that these things exist and especially having used used them in the past in in engagements um you know i yeah i always err towards the side of of just giving caution and not clicking uh, in the first place but you're right a, a lot of payloads if you will like malware that's delivered through an attachment um won't work on certain devices and that goes the same with phishing links you know one um, malicious URL might trigger what's called safety screen on your Chrome browser, that big right. red screen that pops up. Uh, but another phone or browser might not trigger like that. Firefox might not, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what about those devices? Are we still seeing the traditional mostly Windows computers because there's just so many more of them um, versus Apple computers versus iPhones and Androids? I mean, are we seeing... Any changes in those trends that we need to be aware of? You, you, yeah, I would say it's a good mix. Obviously, Windows being one of the more attacked platforms, and I, I'm yeah. kind of especially leaning towards Windows with, um, you know, I think of Active Directory. A lot yeah. of uh, our digital world is connected by uh, what's called Active Directory, and this is what allows different kind of computer environments to talk to other and you know, while this can be secured really well when it's configured properly, um, these these infrastructures, these digital environments tend to be configured really uh, poorly in terms of security. So once a hacker gets in there, they kind of um, have the keys to the kingdom, if you will, and, and they can kind of uh, wreak havoc. And 
so I, I lean towards Windows and, and they're probably targeting things like Windows more. But like we saw last week with the uh, OMG cables, you know, they can even target your phone just with yeah. a malicious charging cable. Yeah, and worth noting that most businesses run on Windows computers. So if you're going yeah. after a business and the big fish, um, that's a great way to go for sure. Okay, Hank the Hackers here. I'm Shane Hewitt. You mentioned the dental benefits. It wasn't dentists. It was the benefit organization, I believe, that got hacked and a bunch of info got taken. Yeah, so Alberta Dental Service Corp got hacked, and uh, a lot of people listening, if you're in Alberta, you're probably uh, like me and one of the, uh, I guess, unlucky few, if you will, that got some some mail uh, in regards to having some information leaked. And the, the information that was leaked uh, for people was their name, address, personal health number, their date of birth, and details relating to any of their dental benefit claims. Um, so they've kind of sent out a letter offering people a little bit of advice and some steps to take along what kind of the line what we've been talking about today. Um, and if you provided your banking information to the Alberta Dental Corp, then they're actually offering an extended service with credit monitoring and making sure that those people are taken care of uh, and that their their credit cards aren't being used. Oh, how do we know if we're on there, Hank? Uh, so right now, the only way you'll kind of know immediately is if you receive one of these letters. There is an extra step you can take in terms of um, obtaining a statement of benefits paid. Uh, so you can actually reach out to the Alberta uh, Health Services or uh, just email them at health.sobp. That's health.sobp at gov.ab.ca. And uh, they can help you um, with figuring out if you were actually involved in, in that data breach at all. Another great reason to not go to the dentist. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Right. If you're looking for an excuse, you got your free pass. Okay. Hank, the hacker is here. Uh, Vegas is under attack. Um, Ryan had a good point. I hadn't thought of this before we got on. I mean, the F1 race is coming to Vegas here shortly. And so that place is about to get like swarmed in the fall, like never before. I mean, it's busy, but there are times of the year when Vegas is busier. And when F1 comes to town, in come the hundreds of thousands of F1 fans. And so what is going on with um, this very, as the headline says, cinematic hack? And well, and what good timing too then to hack something when all the lights are kind of going to be shining somewhere else. It's the classic, uh, I guess, burglary story, if you will. But um, just this past week, we had um, MGM Resorts and there was actually Excalibur Casino as well that got uh, it's kind of um, speculation right now but they were breached through there was a cybersecurity incident and um, word around the the neighborhood is kind of that they uh, someone got social engineered through a phone call and uh, and then someone was able to log in through support and IT systems and, and basically, this resulted in them having to shut down ATMs, um, you know, slot machines were affected, people were posting on Twitter of all the slot machines with error codes on them. And it blew, it blows my mind, because, uh, you know, we see, we see casinos, and I was talking to my friend about this and, and Ryan before we came on, but we, we see casinos and, and these family entertainment centers, and we always think, how impenetrable that is. There's this conception that, and rightfully so, that these places have so much access to finance and, and they must be so secured in terms of cybersecurity. So we kind of have that inherent trust if, if we were to approach being a customer there. Uh, and that's why these breaches end up being so massive when someone gets access to customer information. Wow. Okay. Um, but you said about how somebody got compromised, a staff person. That means that somebody phoned them and tricked them on the phone and got access that way. Is that how that happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and this is what we saw um, with Twitter as well a couple of years ago when we saw some br pretty big accounts get taken over and started posting cryptocurrency scams. But 
it's basically where um, someone calls into a an important or powerful employee, someone who is, has elevated access within the company, and they convince them or they hoodwink them into giving them information that they shouldn't. Right. Uh, so this might look like, you know, hey, I'm Tom from accounting and I need my password quick or something. I'd, it, it, it goes a lot further than that, but the basis of it is just they've been been convinced to hand over access to an account that they shouldn't have they um you hear about these ones about um the finance department maybe a low-level accountant Mm -hmm. or maybe an admin assistant that they get an email spoofing the the president or whomever that they serve inside the company saying you know say the 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 cfo says hey transfer we need you to uh, transfer this money for this payment i'll i'll send you the um the PO document, the purchase order document later, or um, I've got this here, but we got to make payment. I missed this. Can you please just transfer this money to this account and I'll get you the document by the end of the day? And or the the president or vice president of the company goes to the admin assistant and says, you know, I f- forgot my password. Can you let me know what my password is? Now, in a particular case like that, bad guys could just be observing communications for a while and realize that this 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 CEO is like smart as a doorknob and can't remember their password and their executive assistant is the one that saves the day. All we need to do is ask for the password. They'll give it to us, right? Like those kinds of things are legitimate that they happen inside business. Oh, absolutely. And and that's what the hackers taking advantage of. I, I just spoke the other day. I was speaking with one of my clients and they told me this story about how they were at a convention and they got an email and the email said, hey, I need you to make, I think it was a $10,000 transfer, which for him was normal and, and not that large. But uh, they were like, we need to make a $10,000 transfer. And the details were all accurate. The uh, signature in the email was copied and everything. And so he actually made the transfer. And <laughs> the person who was being spoofed, the CFO in this case, she came up to him in the convention and she said, hey, I sent that transfer. I hope everything's okay. And he, you know, luckily he had time to go cancel this transfer before it was accepted. But um, it, it was that quick and just kind of in a moment where he was in such a rush that confirming that wasn't necessarily as convenient as relying on something like a pattern that had kind of been happening through his company's process in the past um so it it's important to take a second and and think especially when you're doing you know a financial transaction regardless of how typical or or how common that might be um it's important to take that moment to kind of think and and in most cases even confirm with the person that this is a legitimate communication vulnerability inside the office is really what this boils down to. And it does make me think, and not to be overly fantastic about it, but it does make me think of Ryan had said oceans 11 and we've got this Vegas hack happening. And, um, and you know, you have cleaning people that go into these businesses all the time and you have people that could apply for a job two years ago and nobody would realize that they put a, a thumb drive into a computer. I mean, you can have comp- uh, cameras inside your office and your most of your uh, proper networks would immediately notify as soon as external device like a USB dongle has been plugged into a computer. But at the same time, it doesn't seem too fantastic, Hank, to be the, the, the bad guy who gets a job as a janitor and then a year and a half later executes on a hack because maybe they just wait until the janitor company turns over. I don't know. Like, um, and to, and to be the person in the office that puts the key in the hole. I, you know, I, I love that you say vulnerability and process. Uh, one of my old bosses, Janine, she used to say, and this was, this is huge <clears throat> that companies don't realize, but there's, you know, you have vulnerabilities in your digital infrastructure. There, there can be vulnerabilities discovered through phishing and pen tests. But the big thing is vulnerability and process. Are your processes safe and secure? And 
you know, that means vetting employees and having uh, something like a USB policy, like you said, someone being able to get a job there and then go plug in a device like a USB stick, um, which we did and in our pen tests before to show this and kind of demonstrate it. Uh, Penetration that test leads is what you're talking to, about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where we kind of yeah. go in will find the vulnerabilities and hack and then kind of teach them how to fix it. And that was one of the biggest things is vulnerabilities mm. and process and, you know, developing kind of ways around segmenting devices that might be accessible from contracted employees like cleaning staff or even the public. You shared with us that even job offers that you've been through where you did, weren't even sure that it was legit until you met face to face. You're like, oh, you are real, right? Like you even get doubtful as that's something we should remember that job offers where they don't want to have a video call or they don't yeah. want to meet face to face. That's problematic. But there are jobs where they will, you get the job and then they send you a kit and it comes with a laptop and it comes with their, you know, network box that allows you to VPN or whatever directly to their network. So you could be the customer service call person, whatever. And yet, What's occurring to me is you don't know what's on that box. So you could be hired for a company that you think you're doing furnace cleaning calls, right? But the reality is, is that you could be making calls for something nefarious that you don't know that's putting software on other people's computers when they give you access. Even more so, your box could come in the house, you take their box, you don't know who they are, and now you've put it on their ne- on your network. And now they have access to everything inside your house and they can do even more. I was right about to say, just like a tip, you know, I'll throw this tip out there. But if you are bringing devices home from work, I would definitely recommend that tape over the webcam trick. Um, you know, bringing yeah. your, your own device, um, if it's being sent to you from work or if it's being sent uh, from like a provider, depending on who that might be. Uh, there's always an inherent risk with that, especially if what if the work isn't the one that's watching through the webcam, but what if the the, you know, the laptop was yeah, what if the laptop got compromised and they sent it to you and they've kind of inadvertently sent this device into your house? So there, you always kind of have to put the security into your own hands and do things like that's why I say covering up the webcam. <laughs> Um, and see Ryan, Ryan reaches up and covers up the webcam <laughs> on his work laptop right now <laughs> and installing antivirus, you know, stuff yeah. like that. If your companies, you know, again, if your poli- if the policy will allow you to do things like that, um, you, you can go as far as they'll let you, but definitely put that, that tape over the webcam. <laughs> Tape over the webcam. That's what this oil boils down to. All the technology, all the servers, all of the cryptocurrency, all of this t- stuff we hear about, put tape over the webcam. That's fundamentally yeah. what we've broken it down to. Crazy stuff. Uh, Hank, it is. Uh, Hank the Hacker, thanks so much, brother, for being here. Appreciate you. My pleasure, man. Thank you. This is The Shift with Shane Hewitt. Janet in St. Albert. Hank, why did it take three months for that CDSC letter breach was July 3rd? Well, it's two months. It was all of July, all of August. July 9th was the day, according to the letter. Hank received that letter, by the way, and he clarified with us that he did receive that letter. And it basically said that they discovered um, and took immediate action to stop it. And then they took time to go through the extent of the protection, blah, blah, blah. There's lots that does need to happen. First of all, they need to unplug, right? Plug the hole. And then they need to forensically look and see what was taken because they don't want to send the letters to people who weren't affected. Why do they not want to send letters to people who weren't affected? Money. Because if they're going to offer protection for your identity theft or whatever insurance they're going to protect you with, two years of identity theft or whatever, they're not going to give that to everybody. They're only going to give that to the people affected. So it's money. Then, before they get to that point, They have to be able to double check with their insurance company, see what they're covered for. They've got to call their lawyers and go through all the details and the wording of everything. Because if they say they were hacked and you were affected, it has to be worded in a way that you don't sue them as well, right? So they protect their butt really is what happens. And now all of these things take time. 
including figuring out who actually was affected and what they did. So it's no different than any other corporate junk that we get that we are the last ones. We are the ones affected, but they protect the organization first. If you and I owned the, owned the organization, though, we would do the same thing. Because if there was, if you had a million people in your database, and then all of a sudden, you know, only 10,000 were affected, but you're paying out $200 on a million, right? That's now $200 million of payout when it could have been a couple hundred thousand. So that's what they have to do. And it sucks. So I, um, I know it doesn't seem fair. I mean, you got told when the Under Armour Runkeeper app got hacked, which was the first one that I ever knew that mine was a part of, they, um, they never said anything. When Luxottica, the glasses company got hacked recently, they didn't say anything. I didn't receive a note. So, you know, these are, these are, at least you got told, even though it seems slow. Again, if you have any questions for Hank, post them at shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group, and then Hank can prep them, and he'll be back next Sunday at the same very time to dig into the conversation with you about the hacking and everything else. We'll see what happens with the Vegas story. That one seems particularly colorful. Maybe that's just our filter of Vegas, but it, there's a lot of money at play in Vegas. So you would think they would have that one buttoned down pretty good. Somebody got in, and somebody got in good in Vegas. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? Share your thoughts on these stories, 877-399-9898. Some stories that might make you ponder. Are you okay with? DUIs, driving under the influence. Influence. I mean, obviously, no. What I am okay with is the amount of like just how hard the like the legislation the education uh is now just Mm. don't drink and drive i will never forget never forget when i was at sate i was uh was my first uh court reporter day so when i was learning journalism you know you have to go to court and report on a crime case and i sat in on a a fatal drunk driving case and the energy in that courtroom I, has stuck with me since I walked out of there. And it is just like, do not drink and drive. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. It really is that simple. That education matters. I'm glad it's something that, you know, like I when I hear stories of like my parents and like their friends, like, oh yeah, we used to do it all the time. No seatbelt, no worries. I'm like, how did you, how are you alive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I'm glad it was that's a different changed. world a long time ago. It really was a different world a long time ago. That's for sure. Well, too many people still get DUIs. It is a thing. And we it's better. There's no denying that. But it is still a thing. You can get a DUI for driving something that isn't a car when you're drunk. Well, you can get a DUI for being in a car when it's idling and it's parked, but you're drunk. And there's no one else in the car. You're responsible for the vehicle. You can get a DUI for that. You can get a DUI for being on a boat, driving a boat. There's all kinds of things you can get a DOI for. Maybe some you don't expect. <laughs> like a horse. All right, we want to show you some video out of Merced, California, where a man got a DUI for riding a horse home while intoxicated. All right, let's take a look because you can see the highway patrol officer there escorting that horse, if you can see it in the video, back home safely after the rider was arrested. The CHP says the man had been spotted on the horse with an open container and at times was slumped over that animal. As it turns out, California's drunk driving laws do apply to people riding animals if they are on a highway. Whoa. The good news, no one was hurt. They didn't say whether he was on a highway or not um, in that particular case. That's from Fox. And uh, CHP Merced Station said in a Facebook post, this incident serves as a reminder that impaired riding, even on a horse, <laughs> poses risks to both the rider and others on the road. The horse was safely returned. Now, I think the real thing here, do you really think he's going to get a DOI out of this? Really? Oh, 
oh, like 10 years ago, probably not. But now, with how strict the laws are, I, he might. He really might. I mean, the other thing that's here is it's one of the circumstances where he was probably the only one that would ever get injured in something like this. But, like, falling off a horse is no, there's no, you can't shrug that well, off. A horse running away and getting spooked is a big, scary deal, too. Um, yeah. Here's what I think. I think, well, it also says the horse was safely returned. That leads me to believe that he might not have had permission to take it. Just saying. Mm. Um, oh, right. That part. Yeah. Also had open liquor with him. And um, I don't know if you can get like, I see. Here's what I think. I think they're going to make uh they're using it as a marketing thing. They're using it as an absolutely yep. don't drink and drive thing. They're using it as a don't be a bonehead thing. And what he's yep. going to get, he's going to get drunk in public. He's going to get open liquor and they'll probably threaten him with horse theft or something along those lines. I mean, he's going to pay a price for this, but I don't think he actually pays a DUI because the DUI is dropping, driving under, it's not an RUI riding under the influence, right? It's a, but, and they, although they did say if it's on a highway, yeah, so maybe he's I, on a highway. I don't know. I think he was, well, the picture looks like he's on a highway. I, you know, I'm not sure for sure, but regardless, what I do know is that I bet there are lawyers in California that are just itching at the chance to work on yeah. this one. Yeah, both sides, probably. Yes. <laughs> I would like to acknowledge the quality of these sound effects. Right? Yeah, very good. Very clear. Very good. Very good. Yeah. One more. <laughs> For our next story, let's take this one completely out of context before we begin. Uh, I love these lazy Saturdays. It's Wednesday, Homer. <laughs> Work! Are you okay with being lazy? Hmm. When I was in high school, being lazy was so easy. And now being lazy has consequences, like more than failing math. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, I can't quite have the same level of lazy relaxation as I once could. But uh, well, that... I think everybody should be, be able to take some time to just have a lazy Saturday like Homer, just probably not on a Wednesday when you're supposed well, to be working. What is a lazy Saturday look like? 877-399-9898. What is lazy to you? I'll come back to you. Ryan, John O'Chung, if I say to you, have a lazy day, what is a lazy day to you look like? Well, to me, it would be lying down in bed and doing nothing. Okay, so lying in bed. Ryan, what is um, what is lazy for you? Ordering food. Uh, playing World of Tanks and then uh, watching a really long movie, several long movies. Yeah. All right. So Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I could have a lazy day. Uh, lazy day to me is probably like walking around. You know, nothing, no checklist, no to-do list, but it doesn't mean stuck in bed, right? It means like it could be sitting at the beach or it could be sitting in a lawn chair yeah. or, right, sitting around the campfire. What a lazy day today. Uh, so it's different how we have a different perspective of lazy. What's yours? 877-399-9898. What does a lazy day look like? A competition to crown Montenegro's laziest citizen has entered its 25th day, completely shattering a previous record. To win the contest, all you have to do is lie down longer than everybody else does. Seven competitors remain from a starting lineup of 21. This year's competition started three weeks ago in mid-August, and it was first held 12 years ago. Organizer Miko Blagojevic told Kosovo Press it's a satirical way to poke fun at the myth that Montenegrins are lazy. Oh, boy. Dubra Dubrovska... Dubrovka Alexic was one of the first uh, year's first competitors held the previous record for staying in bed for 117 hours in 2021. While competitors are allowed to eat, drink, and use their devices and read, they must do it all while lying down. They are allowed to take a bathroom break once every eight hours. No tacos for you. But if they sit or stand outside of that time, they face immediate disqualification. Um, Philip Nezevic 
Nezevic, yep, 23, was a first-time contestant from the northern town of... He could have spelled that one out. That would have been nice. Thank you. Um, Reuters, <laughs> he's confident. some tough words, dude. That's the hardest <laughs> one of all that you didn't help me with. Okay, yeah. told the Reuters he's confident he will win the 1,000-euro prize. Now, the thing that gets me about this story is not that they're lying down. See, I don't think lying down and reading a book is lazy. I think that could be incredibly productive and inspiring, Right. I mean, I, that, that to me is, that to me is uh, where it lands. The laziest part of the lazy McLaziness that's happening here is how long it's been going on. Yeah. And the prize at the end. Now that's lazy. A lot of money. Um, it's $1,400 for how many days? 25 days. So if you go $1,400 divided by 25 days, you are less than $50 a day. And if that is a great example, not a great example of being lazy, I don't know what is, that you're willing to take 47 or whatever and change that is to do it. And every day, it's so lazy. How lazy is it? It's so lazy. The longer you stay, the less you make per day. Now you that to me seems like lazy. When this is done and see what the final like payout per day stat is. Because one thousand four hundred sixty-four dollars is the total purse of this. Or no, but just that daily stat of like by the end oh, of yeah. it, it's like it's Oh, like I lied. It's fifty eight fifty six currently based on twenty five days. I thought it was forty eight. Yeah. Quick maths. Um so <laughs> You know what's lazy is that more than 21 people signed up to go at least four days at 464. The smart ones bailed early. Yeah, I couldn't do it for more than a couple of days. I, I don't even know if I could actually do it for more than two days because... Doing nothing is fun. One of my core favorite memories is New Year's Day, probably like 2015. Uh, and I literally stayed in bed all day watching top 10 YouTube videos. Like top 10, blank, blank, blank. Mm-hmm. Mom brought me McDonald's downstairs. It, I love that day. But the next day, I left the house and went to work. And it helped balance out doing absolutely nothing for like 24 hours. God. Thinking about doing that kind of activity for going on like, Almost a month, <laughs> half a mm-hmm. month is insanity. I can't even fathom 24 hours. I'd be like, oh, this is driving me crazy. Although to your point about what does lazy look like, I would add that what you just said, having other people bring you stuff is if you're, yes. if they're, if you're closer to the kitchen, if that'd be like me calling you and saying, Rye, I know you mm-hmm. live downtown and I live in Airdrie outside the city. Um, can you take a bus and an Uber and a taxi and bring me some fossil soup? Right, like that to me, that's lazy. Don is right there with you. Don in um yeah, right. Don in Pembroke, outside Ottawa, he's with you. He wants to cuddle up in bed. He says, Me lazy is watching anything aviation on YouTube. So nice. What is lazy to you? Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight uh ninety eight. All of that is very lazy. Are you okay with musical theater? It is I, I love musical theater. I uh, was really uh, re- uh, hesitant to join it when I was in high school, but then my drama teacher convinced me and never looked back. The hardest thing I ever worked on in my life was my solo number in grade 12. Rehearsed it hmm. every day, two hours for an entire year. It was amazing. I loved it. Very rewarding. I suggest you give it a go, but it's kind of like cilantro with an S. That's a typo. Or cilantro with a C. Yeah. Either you love it or you hate it. He's just like any other kid who likes Legos and Roblox and Nerf guns and music, all that stuff. Oh, and oomph. What? And oomph. What were you going to say? Okay. He really loves musical theater. Oh, no. What have the dark... Lord Rort. Stop, okay? Maybe it's good for him. Maybe it's good for him. It's a good art. No different than literature or the cinema. It is not like any other art. 
Musical theatre is the lowest of all entertainments. It's a gutter pantomime performed by half-wits with painted faces, enjoyed by lower wits. Maybe some, but have you ever seen Rent? From you? Not a penny. Anyway, shut up. What's that from? That's uh, the What We Do in the Shadows TV show. Ah, that's a scene from What We Do in Shadows team show, by the way. I said it wrong. Musical theater yeah. huh? has to be said that way. Bring people out to shows, even the annoying ones. A woman in Colorado was just thrown out of a performance of Beetlejuice, the musical, because she was vaping and singing too loud. The woman, she was a U.S. state representative. His Congresswoman Lauren Boebert says she was removed from a show at the Denver Center for Performing Arts over the weekend. This is a new video from the city of Denver showing the incident here, showing Boebert and a man being escorted out. They are accused of vaping, singing loudly, and causing a disturbance. Boebert tweeted after the incident saying, quote, It's true. I did thoroughly enjoy the amazing Beetlejuice at the Buell Theater, and I plead guilty to laughing and singing too loud. Everyone should go see it if you get the chance this week and please let me know how it ends okay i guess we'll see what happens there <laughs> cbs news okay <laughs> all right uh, no word on the vaping no eh? according to the denver post the incident report states that after being after receiving the intermission warning about five minutes into the second act security officials received another complaint about the patrons being loud and at the time they were recording which is not allowed the report quotes of one of the ushers, they told me they would not leave. I told them that they would need to leave the theater, and if they did not, they will be trespassing. The patrons said they would not leave. I told them I would be going to get the Denver police. They said go get them. <laughs> Sounds like a so comedy did. skit. The Republican from uh, Silt is running for a third time in 2024 to represent the 3rd Congressional District, which covers much of western and southern Colorado. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.